Let's just laugh and uh, thank you for allowing us to come here. And we believe now that your word has the ability to um, not just be words and letters and phrases and paragraphs, but it actually speaks to our hearts. And we ask that uh, you would show us things today about ourselves, show us things about you and convict us to be the people that you created us and designed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a true story this morning about Christmas Eve at our house. It was a Christmas Eve, and we were getting ready. We had uh, treats set out for Santa Claus. We had the tree set up. There were gifts underneath the tree. And we, we were even tracking Santa on the computer, on NORAD, so we kind of knew where he was going to be. And uh, he was approaching and getting closer and closer. And so uh, my, my kids, it was time for them to go to bed, and we were having fun. We were laughing, playing some cards, and doing different things at, the, at our table. I think my in-laws were over, may have been some more people, and um, it was kind of time for the kids to go to bed, and so my son Keaton was getting a little upset that we were still having fun when it was time to go to bed and Santa Claus was approaching, and so he was getting kind of worked up about this whole idea of seeing Santa Claus get closer and closer and people not really heeding the call to go to bed, which we were going to stay up later anyway, but he was prepared to go to bed so he didn't miss Santa Claus, and at one point my mom had to take him and he got real kind of emotional and I remember frustrated and he comes running down the hall into the kitchen and he made this announcement and he was like, like with tears coming down his eyes. He says, if Santa Claus doesn't come and we miss Christmas because you stayed up too late, it's not my fault. And he ran back into his room and he slammed the door to go to bed. Now this was last year that this happened. So no, I'm, I'm teasing. It was not last year. I think Keaton was about eight when it happened. Uh, but the, the point is, Keaton was so worried that we were missing the point of Christmas. Because in his mind, going to bed early so that Santa Claus can come was the point of Christmas to an eight-year-old boy. And he was so worried that we were going to miss it somehow because we were just goofing off and not taking it very seriously. Now, as adults, I think many times it's really easy for us to still miss the point of Christmas. Even though we think, well, we kind of know what it's about. It's really easy to go through this time of the year and really miss what the point of this whole season is about. Maybe one of the ways that we miss the point is with all of the shopping. We like to do shopping and we like to do gifts, but as anything else, sometimes it gets a little out of hand. Luke, can you show us what happened? This, this is Good Friday highlights, I'm sorry. Black Friday highlights. Here we go. Okay, so that's how we celebrate Christmas, getting in the Christmas spirit, buying gifts for one another. This past year on Black Friday, there were 247 million people that shopped on that day, and we spent $59.1 million on Black Friday. 
And uh, there were two people who were shot outside of a Walmart in Tallahassee, Florida, over a dispute over a parking space. So somehow in all of this gift giving, it's real easy to miss the point isn't it? The point is really not about the gifts, but we kind of get all wrapped up in the gifts. We get wrapped up in the deals. We want to get a laptop for $99. We want to wait in line and the person cuts in front of Walmart and it just kind of all gets out of hand and it's so easy for us to miss the point. But then what about decorations? You know, it's nice to decorate. My mom enjoys decorating for Christmas and making it all seem, seem wonderful. But then it's easy to go overboard too. Let, let me show you a picture here. Okay, this is uh, Alec Karmaninsky's house, and he has over 20,000 lights um, on his house. He actually also has a, I don't think you can see it, he has a blow-up Homer Simpson up there, which I have no idea what has to do with Christmas. But uh, his neighbors have complained that uh, too many people come down his street to see his lights. And then if you get on YouTube, there's a guy by the name of Carson Williams who made an electrical light display of his house that includes over 25,000 lights, and it takes him two months to set it up, and he spent over $10,000 getting it ready. And the same thing happens in his neighborhood. They have traffic jams. They have to have police in his neighborhood to get the people in and out to see all the lights. Somehow in all of that and the decorating, it's pretty easy to miss the point of Christmas. So it's easy for you and I to go through this entire season and miss the point. We can buy the gifts, but we still miss the point. We can decorate the house, but somehow still miss the purpose of Christmas. And we can go to parties and somehow lose the real meaning of Christmas. So we're going to talk about what it takes this year to make sure that we get the point of Christmas. Now, around this time of the year, there's always people that say Christmassy kinds of things. You hear these phrases. So um, I want you to, to shout out if you can think up of a phrase that people say during this time of the year. What's something that you hear people say? Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, season's greetings, tis the season, bah humbug, yeah? Any other ones? Okay, here's a list that I put together. This is not a complete list, but here's, here's just a few of them on the list, things that people say. Uh, tis the season, uh, naughty or nice, he's keeping a list, you'd better watch out, I'm dreaming of... Also, or all so-and-so once for Christmas is, twas the night before, Christmas came early for, it's beginning to look a lot like, God bless us, everyone, and Jesus is the reason for the season. Those are all things we hear during this time of the year, right? Now, I want to take a moment and focus on the last one. Jesus is the reason for the season. Because I think it's almost right. It's almost right. Not exactly right, but it's almost right. To me, it's kind of like the half-court shot at the end of a basketball game when your team's down by two, and the shot goes up, and everyone's watching it, and it hits the back of the rim and comes out, and everybody goes, oh, it's close. It's really close. But let me propose this to you. Here's what I think the real point of Christmas is. It's not that Jesus is the reason for the season. It's that I am the reason for the season. And you are the reason for the season. And the people that you go to school with, and the people that you work with, and the guy that's driving slow in front of you, and the person that's taking too long at the bank line and in the counter. And I would even say, I would propose even your mother-in-law 
is the reason for the season. Now you say, why, why would that be? Because here, here's the deal. There would not be a Christmas if it wasn't for me or you. It would not exist. Christmas would not exist if it wasn't for me or you. And here's why. If I hadn't created a mess out of my life, if I didn't have hurts in my life, if I didn't have habits, if I didn't have hangups, if I didn't have sin in my life, there would really be no reason to have Christmas. It's not like God needed another holiday. He needed something to do, so he decided to create this Christmas story. Jesus came because there was a problem. God sent him because there was a problem. And the problem was that you and I, in our sinfulness, in our flesh, in our humanistic tendencies, had sinned, messed up, hurt other people, done things to hurt ourselves, and created this separation from our Heavenly Father. So because of that separation, there is a problem. And if it wasn't for sin and sinners, there wouldn't be a Christmas to celebrate. Without sin, we don't need a manger scene. We don't need angels, wise men, Santa Claus, Cyber Monday, Christmas carols on the radio. We don't even need to hang lights at the courthouse if it's not for sin. So really, it's not that Jesus is the reason for the season, it's that I am the reason for the season. You are the reason for the season. Now we're going to go to a passage in the book of John. So if you brought a Bible with you, or if you use a Bible app on your smartphone, I want you to turn to it. And if you didn't, you can watch it. We'll have the verses up on the screen. But we're going to look at a passage in the book of John that is a passage that a lot of us are familiar with. We've heard, maybe even memorized. When I was a kid in Sunday school, we memorized it, and we have contests to see who could say it the fastest. I don't know how that impresses God the least bit, but we, we came up with ways to do that. But um, in the book of John, let me give you a little background. John was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. He spent a lot of time with Jesus during his ministry, which was the last 36 months of his life. Pretty much every waking hour, John was with Jesus. And so John's going to tell us in verses 16 and 17 what the real point of Christmas is. So we're going to look at John chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to break this verse apart, kind of unpack it in bits and pieces, okay? Here's what we read. For God so loved the world, or another version is, for God loved the world so much. So I want you to stop there and think that is the motive here for what John is talking about, is God's love. And that's the motive for Christmas. It's not that God just likes lights or he wants to raise the gross national product or help the economy out and create Christmas. It's the motive is God's love for us. And the problem is our sin that has separated us from God. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So Jesus was sent by his father to come down to earth to be a sacrifice, to be the perfect sacrifice to take the punishment for our sinfulness. And you know, when I think about that, what's amazing is, is that God did the opposite of what I would do. When, when I think of that story and I think of when I have relational conflicts with people, sometimes I'm prone to go, you know what, like I just don't want to deal with that person anymore. I just want to create distance between myself and them. God did the opposite. He said, you know what? Because there's this relational conflict between me and every person on the planet Earth, I want to do something to bridge the gap. I want to lean into the situation, not lean away from it. And on that first night in Bethlehem, no one had ever experienced true forgiveness. 
And what we see in that manger scene was that God gives forgiveness to mankind through his son, Jesus. There was a payment for our sin. So the next part of verse 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone, everyone, that means you, that means your crazy uncle, that means your annoying roommate, that means your ridiculously incompetent boss that you work with, that means your rude next door neighbor, that means your nagging spouse, that means your know-it-all teenager, that means your hateful ex-wife, did I miss anyone in there? Feel free to, to fill in the blank there. You know, you can write in, everyone means everyone. So, God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, and that's a reference to Jesus, Jesus is the him, will, and when I read that, I think, well, if you looked around, here's what you would say, will buy gifts and max out their credit cards. Or we'll hang lights on the gutter and put up a Christmas tree that's so beautiful that all your friends on Pinterest will be jealous of you. Or we'll plan an office party and family get together and indulge yourselves in delicious meals and treats. Because if you looked around, that's kind of what you would say is happening. But when we read that, it says, no, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. On Christmas, God made the first move, and, and he said, I, I need to do something about this promise problem with sin, so I'm going to send my only son to become the perfect sacrifice for sin once and for all. So Christmas is not about what you need to do. Christmas is about what your heavenly father did. It's what he did. So much of Christmas, we think it's about what we have to do. We have to do this before Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas? I got to do this and this and this and this. But the, the true meaning of Christmas is not about what you and I are doing. It's about what our heavenly father did for us, for me, for you, for every person that you will ever make contact with. Now, verse 17 it says, God sent his son into the world. That was the first Christmas, all right, in Bethlehem. When he sent Jesus into the world, that was Mary and Joseph. That was the donkey. That was the stable. That was the star, the little drummer boy, the fa la 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 the whole nine yards, okay? That was happening in verse 17. And here's why you are the reason for the season, all right? You ready? God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's the reason for the season. You and me, so that we could not be judged, so that we could be saved, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could experience God's love in a way that we had never experienced it before. So Christmas is about you and me and all of our sin. So I am the reason for the season. And you are the reason for the season. And for 30 years, Jesus lived, he grew up to be a man, and for 30 years, he just walked around this planet, and he never, ever addressed our sin problem. For 30 years, he never said anything about it. He just grew up, learned, worked for his dad, became a carpenter, and then God told him it was time, and he started his ministry portion, which we call the last three years of his life, and he gathered 12 guys around him, and he went around, and he started teaching, and he started talking about sin. But he never sinned. The one who talked about sin and taught us about sin and came to be the sacrifice for sin never sinned. He was the only 
only person ever human that ever walked that, that didn't lust and get angry and was materialistic and judgmental and all the things that you and I deal with, all the junk that we deal with that comes out of our flesh. Jesus was the only one who didn't, didn't succumb to that. He was tempted. Uh, he was, I think his arm was twisted. Things were put in front of him. But being the son of God, he never sinned so that he could become the perfect sacrifice. And he went to the cross and died on the cross to become that sacrifice and make it good. So if there's no sin, there's no Christmas. If there's no hurts and habits and hangups, there's no little child of Bethlehem. If there's no guilt and shame and remorse in our lives, then there's no silent night. If it weren't for people like you and me, we wouldn't need Christmas. We wouldn't even have the, the gifts. We wouldn't have the tree. We wouldn't have the decorations. We wouldn't have the parties. And we wouldn't even get off work between Christmas and New Year's. We are the reason for the season. That is the point of Christmas. Now, I want to share three questions for each of you and myself, for all of us to consider in light of what John teaches us in this passage. And so we'll put those on the screen. And uh, my, my hope is that you would read them, think about how they apply to you, and ask God to help you figure out the answer and the application for your life. Here's the first question. How would you experience Christmas if you really grasped that it's all about you? How, how would it be different for you? How would you experience it? How would you spend your time? How would you celebrate it? How would you feel this time of the year if you realize this whole holiday is about me? It's for me. It's about God dealing with my sin. It's not all about the lights and the decorations and the food and the parties and all that stuff is fine, but it's about my heavenly father sending Jesus to die for my sins. Do you know how God would want you to experience Christmas and really grasp that whole concept? He would want you to experience Christmas like a child. When I was eight years old, all I wanted for Christmas was a 10-speed bicycle. That's all I wanted. And I woke up at, on Christmas morning, and there in my house was a 1976 Schwinn white 10-speed bicycle, which automatically made me the coolest kid in the whole neighborhood, hands down, right then. Okay, so you see, it, it was the bicentennial edition, which even made it even cooler, because it had a little red, white, and blue, and stars, and stripes all over it. And so, with that, with that bike, here's what I realized about that bike now. I didn't have enough money to buy that bike, all right? I probably hadn't been a good enough kid to even deserve the bike. I had no way of getting the bike myself. It was only on the grace and mercy and love of my mom and dad that they purchased the bike for me for Christmas, in many of the same ways, that's the story of Christmas for us as grown-ups. We really do not deserve the love and the grace and the mercy that God has shown us. We really do not deserve that God sent his only son to die for us and give us this gift of eternal life. We, we can no way earn that. We can no way buy that. It's out of our realm. It's only through a gift of love that our Heavenly Father gives it to us. And so like a child who's so excited about this thing of Christmas, of getting something that you really don't deserve, I think that's how God would want us to experience Christmas if we really grasp the idea that it was all about us and our sin. Second question I want you to consider. How would your life change if you deeply believed that God was for you? 
I think one of the misconceptions that we have many times is we believe that God is not for us. We believe that somehow God is against us, that God's not pulling for us, that God's not answering our prayers, that God's too busy, that God uh, wants to trip us up or catch us doing something bad. And the fact is, that's not how God is at all. God is not mad at us. God doesn't dislike us. He doesn't hate us. In fact, he is your biggest cheerleader. I mean, if God had Facebook, he would put uh, posts about you on his Facebook page. If he had Instagram, he would take all kinds of ridiculous pictures of you and feed them to all of his other friends that he has about you. If he had Twitter, he would write tweets about you and put them on Twitter because he is your biggest fan. He cares about you. He loves you. He sent his only son to die as a sacrifice for you. And what would Christmas be like if we deeply, deeply believed and knew and accepted and, and, and let that soak in that God was for us? Imagine how much enjoyable Christmas would be if, if we could really fully understand that truth. The third question that I want to throw out you and I want you to consider is how would you treat others this Christmas season if you viewed them with the same grace that God has shown you? How would you view and treat other people if you really understood that God has given you this thing, this, this grace and mercy that you really don't deserve for your sinfulness? How would you treat other people if you fully understood that? You know, the, the people that, that get on your nerves, the people that just drive you crazy, the people that you complain about, because this really isn't the season for condemnation. It's not the season to be irritated. It's not the season to just walk around with people getting on our nerves all the time. It's the season when God leaned in and did the only thing that could be done for our sin, which was forgive it, wipe it away, bring life and peace and joy into his people. Irritating and dysfunctional people are not an interruption to Christmas. Irritating and dysfunctional people are the reason for Christmas. That's why we need Christmas. So the point of Christmas is that God sent his son. The reason that we are the reason for the season is without us, without our sin, there would be no Christmas. Now, we accept that not in an egotistical way, but hopefully we accept that in a humbling way and realize that us whole season and everything that, that it has to do with and all of the stuff that goes around Christmas, if we miss the point of Jesus sending his son to deal with our sin, we've totally missed the point of Christmas. And what I want you to do is imagine this Christmas season fully embracing that. Imagine what it would be like to live and to breathe and, and to, to go through Christmas understanding that. And just think of what it would be like to enjoy this season to know that, that I'm free of my guilt. I'm free of all the things that, that I deal with, all the junk in my life, that God has taken care of it. And envision all the holiday get-togethers with your family and realizing they don't have to get on my nerves because you know what? I've experienced this freedom. I've experienced this joy. I'm experiencing Christmas the way God intended for it to be. Let me pray with you this morning. Hey God, um, I thank you for our time and I thank you for the words of John. And I thank you for his reminder of Christmas and the real meaning and purpose. Father, I pray that you would help us to grasp in this holiday season that it really is about each one of us and it's about our sin. And not in an arrogant way, but in a humbling way, Father, it's a pretty big deal because it's something that we couldn't have dealt with on our own. But you dealt with our sinfulness through your son, Jesus. And help us to, in fact, 
embrace the idea that you are with us and you are for us. Father, no one is for us more than you are. And may you help that to soak in this season. And Father, give us the capacity to not let others ruin our Christmas. Help give us the capacity to uh, be tolerant of people this year. Give us the capacity to show joy and mercy and forgiveness to people just as you've shown it to us. Father, so that this year we don't miss the point of Christmas. We fully appreciate it and we experience it in a way that you want us to experience it. Full of joy, full of hope, full of life. And Father, maybe through a new lens that helps us to see the beautiful gift of you sending your son so that we could have eternal life. That is my prayer through Jesus. Amen. We're going to move into a time now of uh, response, and uh, let me tell you how that's going to work. There are a couple of things that you can do or participate in. One is we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment, and if this is your first time at Exodus, the way that we do it is there will be people up here at the front where I'm at, and to my right and left, and they will have the bread and the juice to represent Christ broken body on the cross and the blood that he shed. You take a piece of bread and you tear it and dip it in the juice and you're welcome to come up uh, after I pray at whatever point. Uh, you can take that back to your seat or you can take it right when you're up here. That's totally up to you. Another way that we respond is through prayer and there will be people to my left in the prayer room. Some people that I know they'll be there and if you have a need and you want someone to pray for you with, for whatever reason, whatever's going on in your life, we'd love to just say a prayer. We won't keep you any longer than you want but um, there'll be people there to pray. And another way is through our finances and our gifts and tithes and offerings. And so there's a green box here in the front, there's one in the back and there's one as you walked in and we believe that as an extension of our worship to God that God wants us to be people of generosity and a lot of us believe that we support what Exodus is doing. And so during that time of response, you have all three of those options to participate in all three or one or none. It's totally up to you. The band's going to come up here and they're going to lead us in two more songs during that time. And um, then I'll come back up and we'll close the service. But before we move into that time, let's pray one more time. Hey God, thanks again. 
uh, as we respond now, it's, it's a way that we um, take on this idea of what do we do with what we know and with what you've done, and we respond to that this morning. And so we thank you for the elements that represent Christ's broken body and his shed blood. We thank you that we can pray. Father, we thank you that we can be generous and continue your work here in Bloomington and around the world. And we say that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Just